Guys, I'm Richard Fitzgerald. This is Dubai Works, where we interview the business leaders making a difference in this great city. That business with scalability was very interesting to me. I like building something that has legacy. The sponsor of today's show is Evest, a digital brokerage firm founded with the vision of bringing trust and credibility to the world of online trading. Evest provides investors with better opportunities in the online trading industry, offering self-trade service with high level of security and secured global licenses. Evest offers 100% reliable stocks with zero commission. We have the perfect guest, I think, for this time of the year. It's event season, the weather's improving, and Dubai really does change. There's a lot of atmosphere here all year round, but it really changes when it comes to this time of the year. It's like everything switches, switches on. There's concerts, there's fairs, there's shows, uh, there's sporting events, there's just constant activity. And I had the pleasure of sitting down to someone who's been running one of the leading events companies in Dubai for 17 years and they happen to be our neighbor here in Dubai production city uh, but it's a fascinating conversation and really impressive uh, how uh, Nusha runs the business enjoy the conversation Welcome back to another episode of Dubai Works Business Podcast. I'm here with Nusha Esan. She is the CEO, and we'll talk about what the E means in CEO in this case, at LinkViva. They are an award-winning and globally recognized events company with offices in Dubai and London. LinkViva went from a single desk with zero employees to becoming one of the top 50 events companies in the world. Wow. Uh, so we'll talk about the conception of LinkViva, how it came about, how it started, uh, its journey so far. We'll go broader into the cultural aspect of the company, uh, how they work with their employees, how they empower their employees, and some of their views around uh, wellness in the workplace. Uh, and then we also talk about uh, events, uh, planning industry in Dubai, and looking ahead, especially as we go into sort of busy event season in Dubai. So good morning, Nusha. Thanks for joining. Thank you so much. Good morning. <laughs> and you're our neighbor, so you didn't yes. have far to come. <laughs> <laughs> Two second walk and I was here. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. You know, you your office actually inspired us to move here oh, wow. uh, many years ago. Or, well, I saw it like I think in 2019 and what you the beautiful fit out that you've done in these big spaces. So now, now we're neighbors. <laughs> That's awesome. Thank you for saying that. No, it's yeah. great to have you and thank you for having me. <laughs> uh, well, thanks for coming. Yeah, so amazing. So tell us a little bit more about Link Viva, how it started. Sure. Wow, that goes back 17 years ago. <laughs> you know, I hear stories of people talking about uh, how they started, how they had an amazing idea, the business plan, the business strategy, the investments, and they started. And I have to tell you the truth, our story was not like that. <laughs> <laughs> because I believe some businesses like us start by just having hope and ambition and um, have the willingness to do what it takes to make it a success and not knowing how. And I think that's the story of Blink Viva. So I got married at 19 and with a guy that I knew for five months. And uh, we decided I was working in an advertising agency back then because I had a very early start. Um, but when we started, it was just, we need to do something. And 
let's do it. And we started um, by doing our own IP events because at that time, when you don't have a reputation or a portfolio, I couldn't go to the corporates and say, give me your events. So we had to create our own event concepts. And that's what we did. Then we went to corporate events because they were our sponsors and they noticed what we were doing. And I have to tell you, it was very interesting. They would come to us and say, wow, you're doing something amazing. And when I say us, it was me, my husband, who's our co-founder, and um one admin lady. So wow. I, I was like, you know, the cleaner, the marketeer, the, <laughs> the event planner, everything. And, um, and from there on, you know, we started doing events for the corporates and then we launched our government division and, you know, rest is history. But that was really the start. Wow. So tell us a little bit more. So what, that was in Dubai 17 years ago. And what, what kind of sector were you doing IP, uh, your own events in? And what were, can you remember any sure, names? Sure. Yes, or? of course. So I started doing the consumer shows. So our first event uh, was, I mean, I can go back a little bit. The truth <laughs> is before the consumer events, if you really want to know the whole story, is our very very, very first event was a concert and it was a concert for a German band called Schiller. Okay. And imagine never done concert, not in the entertainment industry wow. and just married, bought our house. I decorated it beautifully like her office. Yeah. And, um, four months later, the night of the event, we found out that we had lost 500,000 dirhams. And uh, they just told us that basically did, we didn't generate enough money to pay off what we had invested. So we had to sell the house. No. <laughs> I was 19, <laughs> newly wet. So you lost it on the, on the event. You didn't, the money, you just didn't make the profit on the event. We didn't make the profit on the event yeah. and we had to pay for it. And, you know, wow. at that age, it's hard to go and get a loan and everything. So we had to sell the house to pay off the debts. And then we had to sit around and say, what do we do? And, you know, sometimes that's what I'm saying. Sometimes you don't really have a great product or a great opportunity, but it's out of no other option. We got to make this work, but what can we do? So we started uh, conceptualizing our own consumer events. And our first event, that's where I was, it was a weight loss show. So it was an event around health and fitness. And then it was a great success. Um, I mean, we had 80 exhibitors. I was going in Sheikh Zayed Road in every building from around 11 p.m. till 3 a.m. and dropping flyers behind the doors mm. um, using the emergency exit mm. because at that time, you know, we couldn't afford marketing. And I was worried. I've made all these promises to the exhibitors. What if people don't show up? Mm. So it was a hard start, I have to say. But on the day, we had a weekend event and we had 2,000 people that came and it was a great success. Amazing. And that went, went on for like a few years. Then we launched a great parenting show because at that time, I don't know, it was us, but everybody was getting, you know, becoming parents in Dubai. Yeah. And then we did the business in Dubai, how to set up businesses in Dubai. So these were kind of our own concept that we created. And I think after these, we got recognized with the corporates who were becoming our sponsors and they started asking us to do their events. Mm. And yeah, that's so. And it evolved from there because, you know, I've come across Link Viva from some of the huge big events that you do for Dubai tourism, that market outside the box and other things like that. And the space that you have is very much, you know, it's got enough space to make the kind of props and do the full sort of build um, and everything that goes into bigger events now. <laughs> so was that not, not the, uh, how did that sort of uh, come to be? 
the transition. Mm. So I think fast forward to today, I would say we're one of the top three or top five in the UAE uh, in terms of events. We only focus on larger scale events. We kind of like to do the full scale of an A to Z and we do what other people can't do. Mm. And that's where our kind of niche is. So we've done projects, like you mentioned, like MOTB. It's the fifth year this year that we will be doing it for Dubai Shopping Festival, Dubai Tourism. Um, Dubai Run, it was 146,000 people. Dubai Ride, 33,000 cyclists across Sheikh Zayed Road. So these are kind of the events that we do today, fast forward. Um, but I think for me as a leader of organization and as a woman leader, the turning point from you know, the kind of events we were doing back then, which I always laugh about. I, you know, at some point we were doing um, birthday parties for NBC staff. Mm. And I remember it was a monthly billing of 2000 dirham. Mm. But, you know, you got to do what you got to do to get where you want to get to. Mm. So I think the transition for me was the tipping point where I, um, it was very challenging because I was always ambitious. You know, I had the ambition, but the drive was there. But, you know, we all have self-doubts and we all, question ourselves and our abilities. Although my partner has always been very supportive and he's always a visionary looking at what's possible, but you still need resources and resourcefulness to get there. Mm, but more than anything, it was it was me at the forefront saying, how can I make this happen? And I think the tipping point was when the day that I realized I don't have to know it all, it was the Freedom Day. Because mm. up to that point, I had these teams, you know, we were about 20 people at the time, um, and they would come to me for everything. And I had a business coach. And one of the best decisions that I took was to have a coach. And um, my coach, one day said, uh, I said, what do I go? What do I tell them? And he's like, nothing. I said, what do you mean nothing? He said, just be you. I said, what do you mean? I paid you all this money to tell me just be you. Mm. And he said, you don't have to know it all. And I think that day I went back to the office and I was a different person. Mm. When people came to me asking me questions, I said, I don't know. Why do you think I should know? I'm not better than you, mm. but we together collectively will figure it out. And that is when our culture started shifting. And where our culture shifted, people started showing up differently because we have to realize in the service industry, it's not one person. It's not the system or the process. It's the people that makes the difference. Mm. So how do we create the conditions for people to make the difference was really what I started doing to create the the change. That's a really good, a really good background story as well. I think people will find that inspiring, but also to be, have that awareness to know that there was a turning point to help leadership and to help, uh, you know, getting another team around you to be able to deliver this stuff. You mentioned, Nusha, that you called it a service. Uh, how do you, how do you define events as a service industry? Yeah. <laughs> so for me, everything that we do is a service that we offer to our clients. Yeah. And the way we look at this is our job ultimately is to deliver on the KPI of our client, mm. personally, departmentally, and organizationally. And because of that, what we do is we never take a brief for granted. So we act as the consultants. When an RFP comes in, we question it. We say, "Will what is your objective personally and you know organizationally? And in many times we feel that the we find that the RFP and the brief we're receiving doesn't actually deliver, even if done successfully, on the client's KPIs. So we challenge the brief. So as, as you see, it's a very personal business. You have to have interest in the person sitting there to care for delivering on their KPI. And you have to treat that organization as your own business to really create ROI and impact. Mm. So for me, the only way you can make that a success 
is by ensuring that the people that you have, because I'm not out there, my team is out there. How do they continuously do what they do because they want to, not because they have to? Mm. And this space is discretionary effort. And I think my answer, sometimes I get asked, what is the magic in Link Viva? And I say the magic in Link Viva is discretionary effort is present. Mm. And my role as a leader is to create the conditions for this discretionary effort to show up. Interesting. Yeah, I can get that. Uh, cool. So just a little bit more about the current offering that you have today. How much of your work is corporate? If you had to break down the percentage, do you do any IP events now? Yes. So we have, um, actually this year we have launched our IP division back again because oh, we great. weren't doing it for many years. So, um, in October seven to nine, we have our first IP. Uh, it's called Festival X. And it's um, our supporting uh, sponsors or presenting partners are Al-Sarkal Avenue. It's basically an event where art meets tech. Mm. So it's when you bring an artist and you bring AI and robotics and yeah. they create a new product. So it's very cool. I had nice. to get educated on it. <laughs> <laughs> and we have a second IP, which is going to be a food concept launching next year in, in quarter one. So we're very much looking forward. So that's kind of our IP front. And uh, majority of our clients is government right now. Um, although apart from, and that's in the tourism sector, we do biotourism, Abu Dhabi tourism. And apart from that, uh, we do also work with malls and asset management because everything that we do kind of evolves around consumers and attracting footfall and delivering a journey or value for the consumer. So that's mm. kind of how our current service offerings are. Interesting. And just, you know, for the uninitiated, how does it work? You know, someone wants to do an event or, and they've done an event before they go to tender to get an event partner. Uh, they have the space, but you have to deliver the f event from A to Z. And does that co cover the sort of fairs as well or the, the events that might be held, like the industry fairs and things like that. Are you in that space as well? What, what, what do you mean industry? Like the ones that are, like um, the big ones in Dubai, so Jitex, Arabian Travel Market, exhibits. Right. Yeah, yeah. so the exhibitions are more corporate, okay. um, and there are obviously market leaders that have been doing that. We don't operate in that space. Okay. We are more focused on the consumer events. Fine. So it could be a consumer exhibition, but it's more of a consumer events. Yeah, okay, fair. And is, is that how it, it kind of works, is that... Um, someone will do this each year and they look for a different partner each year or, uh, because in Dubai, there's a lot of even consumer events that are led by governments that are, that pop up quite regularly. Do you get involved in those ones yes, as well? Yes, that's our area. Usually what happens, I mean, often what happens is that there is an RFP and then every agency has to pitch. Mm. So there's a pitch process. And what we tend to do is we, again, look at everything from ground up, you know, start with the strategy, start with the concepts, start with the naming, start with what, the, what that event presents. And then build from strategy to space design. How does the space look? Uh, what is the consumer journey? What are our, you know, content and uh, curation and programming? So we have all of that in-house, um, you know, from entertainment programming to talks to everything that it could entail. And then we move into the operational excellence because health and safety, crowd management and all of those. So, but we do have to. Uh, present and submit a pitch that kind of showcase our capability uh, as a normal practice in Dubai and yeah. up in the UAE. Yeah, definitely. Makes sense then just to relate to other industries, how they work. But that's interesting. You do all the programming as well in-house and that, that's a big area for events. 
Do you yeah. manage the speakers? Do you help with the curating everything, how it flows and all that? Yeah, so we have an in-house um, programming and curation team that we can offer everything. And one thing about us is when we submit a pitch, I always say to the team that that has to be ready to go live. So we don't just conceptually share ideas. Mm. No, when we submit a pitch, it's ready it's to go plan. live. It's, it's like, exactly, it's like a prod book that you know how you can go live with. And one thing that we pride ourselves with is it's all good to give concepts, but we need to ensure that the actual event design put next to the render you can't really identify the difference between the two. Amazing. And that's a very hard thing to do. Yeah. And the other area you said that you do uh, is the sort of security management and um, the safety, crowd safety and, and everything like that. That's a lot of logistics. You mentioned two big events on Shakeside Road that would have been heavy in that area, right? Like how do you kind of manage that? So we do the project management of it and we do have partners and suppliers that come on board. I think the key here is a full turnkey solution where in this case, LinkViva oversees all the aspects mm. and ensures that all the different suppliers and all the different stakeholders are speaking to, with each other. Because in an event where you have to handle 146,000 people, there's a lot that could go wrong. Mm. And it's just ensuring that we project manage it as a one turnkey solution. But of course, we have partners and suppliers that uh, help to make this a success. Yeah, definitely. And had you studied, uh, when you were working in advertising, so had you studied marketing or... Uh, so I, I was actually working in an ad agency when I was 16 and I uh, was doing business management. So I was working from nine to five and then six to nine, wow. I was going to Dubai University and I graduated as a business management. Um, so my background was really More business, business yeah. and yeah, management and then evolved to leadership. But <laughs> I have also been very, very passionate about the study of human behavior and why people do what they do. So as a result, I'm a certified life coach and NLP coach. And, uh, I'm, you know, my passion is all about, you know, helping people to become a best version of themselves, enable, empower, inspire. And that's the other side. So no, I don't come from a background or a production. I come from how can I help my people be the best version of themselves. And as a result, the company improves and we all grow. Yeah, that's important as a leader, especially when, uh, how, so how many people would you work on or does it work with in Link Viva or does it vary when the event season gets busy? Yeah, so we have around full-time 50 employees. And then for each of these big events, we could have up to 500. Wow. So obviously there are a lot of um, freelancers that we work with as well. So our business is very seasonal and we have to have the ability to scale up and down. Mm. Um, and and yeah, that changes. I often see people that I don't know who they are in the office, yeah. but it's always a nice thing to kind of learn their story. And it's, it's beautiful for me. What's beautiful is they walk to me and they say, how proud and happy they are to work for Link Viva. And that obviously keeps me going. Amazing. But so how does that work? Do you engage another, you know, technically with visas and everything like that? Do you engage another company to help you uh, staff up when you've got uh, big resource needs? Yeah. I mean, there are a few companies that help with freelancers and yeah. they are, they are on their own visas and they have an NOC. And obviously in the last few years, especially with Expo, the ability to hire freelancers have loosened up. You know, before we used to have uh, legal issues that we couldn't, but now mm. that has changed, which is great for companies like us and ex being able to expand and kind of scale up and down in the seasons. Mm. And you grew up in Dubai? 
Yes, so I came here when I was 12. Okay. So I've been here 20... You don't have to. <laughs> 24 years. Everyone asks you, right? Yeah. But, so, but that's interesting. So like, how do you view uh, Dubai as a place where you were a teenager you were, and then you, you were students and then you, you now you run a business? So how have you, And Dubai has obviously changed a lot in, over that time as well. Yeah, I love Dubai. I believe there is no place like Dubai. And I think what I love about Dubai is this underlining message that everything is possible. You can be who you want to be, again, if you're really willing to put in the work. Mm. And I always say I kind of build this culture in Link Viva at the back of what Dubai is doing. I mean, look at where the city was and the country was and look at where it is now. And I always relate that to people. I mean, I st- I was here um, when I was 12, but at 16, I was in grade 10, I was in grade nine. And I went after the exams to my parents and I said, I don't want to go to school anymore. And obviously they got a shock saying, what do you mean? You have to go to school. So I quit school at mm. year nine mm. because I was so eager and hungry to start working. But the next day, literally after I did my exam, my, my father was going for a business meeting in an ad agency, which I went with him, and that's where I got hired. No way, wow. You know, I think I think the, the 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 CEO there saw something in me. He saw the hunger in me, and he said, "Why are you working for your dad?" I mean, I, I wasn't even working for my dad. I just finished my studies two years earlier than everybody else. And he said, come work here. And I think, you know, providing opportunities like this where they believe in you Mm. um, really made a difference for me. And that's what's possible in Dubai. I started working when I was 16 and I worked in that agency for three years. I worked my way up. I started as a secretary. Mm. I didn't even know how to write a letter. But I, you know, the drive is what keeps pushing you. And that drive and that hunger to learn and to grow, which is what Dubai is based on, is really what always inspires me and really pushed me to be where I am. Where do you think the drive comes from? That's a very, very deep question. But our drive comes from our childhood. Mm. And, And that's actually what made me go into the whole life coaching and understanding why people do what they do. But for all cases, you either have the drive or don't, and that's in your childhood. Mm. And often you have the drive because you were hurt or you didn't have something in your childhood. Mm. So in my case, I didn't have what my friends had when I was very young and I was put, my father wanted to support me. He put me in the best school and suddenly I realized I'm around people who have everything, but I had nothing. I was a very, you know, meet, you know, um, like an average family. Like mm. we were good, but it wasn't like we had everything, you mm. know? So for me, it was like, I don't want to live a mediocre life. I mm. want to have everything. So it was that that really drive me to want to become somebody and then as the years and as you grow older, it becomes about impact and really change. But I think it's an inner game. It's, yeah. it's, it's a lot to do with your inner game. Yeah, brilliant. And, you know, when you when we did the intro, we talked about f- top 50 companies in the world. We don't say Dubai. So there's obviously, you know, Dubai has that drive to be a global city and Link Viva as well. Do you, you know, and your website's very impressive and, and the kind of work that you do and that you showcase. So is do you have... When did that ambition go to say, uh, we don't just want to do birthday parties for (laughs) celebrities or we want to do bigger events and then we want to be in London and how did that happen? I think throughout the journey, um, at at the beginning, I have to say, I didn't know that we were offering anything special. You know, you don't have the confidence or, you know, the belief. And you, I hadn't done a lot of, you know, market studies to see what's our USB. It was just 
the ambition and also wanting to do good work, constantly creating value. But as the years evolved, you know, my clients were saying, we love what you do and they keep acknowledging and appreciating. And I think that's when you start building that confidence and, and that boost of, okay, maybe we are doing something really right. And I think being in Dubai enabled us to really set the expectation on the bar very high. You know, when you go to other countries and you see events, not everywhere in the world has the quality and the expectation that Dubai has. Mm. So what was really normal for us and it was expected was really, really high end when we started doing events in other countries. And again, our clients took us to other countries. We've done projects in Egypt. We've done projects in Singapore, in Turkey, in, you know, many, many places. But it was our clients who said, we really liked how you did our, you know, incentive trip in Dubai. Can you do it there? Mm. And I think the, the willingness to never say no and take on the challenge, but having the highest commitment to deliver is what pushed us. Mm. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's just you start building that portfolio. You start building that confidence, the resources. And again, I go back. If you have the ambition, that's where you start looking at the growth. And I have a tagline that my team who've been with me for decades, they always, you know, sometimes they say there is no finish line. <laughs> and I say, yes, unfortunately, there is no finish line. <laughs> so what does Kobe Bryant say? Rest at the end, not in the middle. But there's no rest if there's no finish line. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I always say you're either growing or decaying. Mm. As a human being, you're growing or decaying. As an organization, growing or decaying. You can't be stagnant. Mm. That doesn't work. Interesting. Well, yeah, Impressive. Um, so the events industry is difficult, right? It's it's um, long hours. You know, I, when I go to some events as we're media partner, I think we have it easy. We go on stage, we come in and out for a few hours. But I know that there's been people there 17, 18 hours. Like it's almost unforgiving in the, the amount of work that goes on to put stages up to the, even the weeks and months before, uh, the logistics of getting different permits, like all these different things that go involved in it. And you haven't got tired. <laughs> <laughs> I think the key is uh, having a great team mm. and not, I mean, I don't get involved in projects because we have an amazing team. And I think I would like to credit also our COO who's been with us for a decade. And one thing that we do is opposite to the other companies, we don't rely on one person and expecting them to do everything. It, when we're doing resource planning is considering the fact that people need to sleep, considering the fact that we're going to, you know, burn out, considering mm. all these factors and then putting a resource plan to always have a backup. Mm. You know, when you have a project director and especially in the last, you know, two years and the, and everything is relied on one person and suddenly they get COVID two weeks before the event, it could really affect the project. So it's really when at the stage of resource planning, um, how do you put the right people in the right roles and consider to have enough people? Sometimes we get challenged by our clients saying, this is a lot of project management fee. We say, because that's what we do. Mm. You know, we can't, that's the place we cannot um, compromise on. on. No, yeah. we can't. So yeah, I mean, I would give the credits to my team, not myself. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Um, but, but also on the other side, and you learned this from the first event that you did, that it's a risky business as well. Like, even if it's not your IP, still things can go wrong. Uh, weather can go wrong. Like, unknown unknowns and even known unknowns can can happen and come up as well like you know recently there was a sad passing of the president and a lot of things happened that weekend uh were cancelled but it's constantly like that isn't it in the event space like there's it's just the nature of it that 
things crop up all the time. Yeah. Uh, so how do you factor <laughs> for that? <laughs> I think one is you have to have insurance. Once you get to a certain scale, you have this insurance to put in place for force majeure and stuff. Uh, but also things could go wrong on the event. And I think having the ability to always have a plan B and a plan C, I think is built into our DNA. Mm. Um, you know, it's what if this happens? And we have a game that we do. Um, and that is you visualize everything in the event. So you start closing your eyes and you see, I arrived at this point, this happened. What do I see? What do I hear? What do I smell? Where do I go? And in every step, what could go wrong? And have we planned for what could go wrong? But no matter what you do, there's always, always surprises. I mean, we had some surprises last year that was you know you, you just panic you just go what do i do and i think it's ensuring that you have the team effort and the teamwork and the team spirit because you will always find people that would panic and freeze and can't do anything and you will always find people that work better under stress so i, I remember we had an event and we had to go live and there was an issue with the branding and i was like what do i do and i'm calling our production director calling him he's not answering and as I'm calling, I suddenly see he's up the ladder, not even a ladder, actually two of the staff had put him on his shoulder and he's himself fixing it. And for me, that was a very proud moment. You know, we will do whatever it takes, no matter what, to make things work. Mm. And, you know, um, even when it goes wrong beyond what you had not planned. But obviously, again, planning, planning, planning. That's mm. the answer. <laughs> planning, planning, planning. Nisha, but I talk a little bit about the pandemic, right? We don't have to go into full detail of it, but obviously that messed up the events. But I want to phrase the question in terms of you've been doing this for 17 years. You clearly have the tricks and the tools uh, to, you know, the business inside out, right? But even still, some people then tend to pivot or try new things. They don't stay with the thing that they're good at, maybe. Uh, how have you, and maybe that was tested during the pandemic. How do you, how do you still believe in doing good events and how do you retain that passion for the work that you do? So I think to answer your question is before passion, I have to understand that I am a business leader and Everything has to make financial and business sense. So we are also very structured and very financially driven in that case. Um, so if you ask me about any of our ratios, we, we have all those data. Hmm. Um, and it's all about, yes, you can take risk, but with what percentage of the business will you? So we've just launched IPs and we've spent millions into these two and it's funded by LinkViva. Hmm. But what percentage of our net are we reinvesting back to the business? So I think at the end of the day, we could, you know, I ha and I have seen that. I have seen that many times people get so passionate and so excited and they start going so wide in the service offerings and what they do. And one thing that allowed us to stay um, alive in the pandemic was this, and that's the business acumen. For me, at the end of the day, unless we have good cash flow, we cannot sustain. Mm. And ensuring that we have good cash flow in 17 years, not even one time have we delayed salaries for even one day mm. because everything is to do with your cash flow and how do you ensure Amazing. that you run the business successfully. So I think first is having those strategies and those ratios and those, you know, eye on the numbers that is extremely important. And then anything that you invest in or plan, which has a risk, reinvesting from the net 
um, not, you know, taking big risk. That's my style. I'm not saying it's the best style. You know, the, the businesses are explo- uh, exponentially growing, obviously have this different strategies, but this is what has kept us going and successfully the last you um, run it 17 well. years. Yeah. Like the, when you're talking about ratios, you're looking at debt to equity ratios, things like that, the balance sheet, and you're g- getting a full handle of the numbers. Handle, yeah. Also, our payments like how soon, what is our payments receivables versus payables um, mm. ratios? Mm. How many days is that? And are we sticking to those days or are clients paying late? If the client is paying it late, are we paying suppliers late? How do we manage this cash flow? Mm. Um, you know, if as a business we're investing, what percentage of our business is in creative versus production versus project versus RD and new products? Um, and ensuring that the business is not as risk when you're investing in new ventures. Mm. And I'm really proud to say the last two years, uh, we've had an average a year-on-year growth of 85%. That's a lot. (laughs) Since the pandemic, but 85 is a big number, yeah. Yeah, but for me, the celebration was not just on that number. Mm. For me, the celebration is the holistic growth. It's when we had the opportunity to celebrate acknowledge reward everyone we had two trips last year we went internationally to zanzibar with the team Amazing. we went locally to Ras al-Khaima and having happy clients and having paid our suppliers so it's mm. ensuring that you're not just you know For cut sure, yeah. and just growing the business but hurting your suppliers because there are so many businesses that are growing but they're not paying suppliers off mm. and that that's not right ethically it's not right mm. and some people that are growing but they have a very high turnover rate and the staff are not happy so I'm a perfectionist, and I think that's my biggest challenge as a person, but really ensuring that there is a holistic growth, um, that really is important. Yeah, and there's other companies who are celebrating a lot, and it looks like they're growing, or they've raised a lot of money, but they're not actually growing. So yeah, it's nice how you described it. Uh, you know, you wouldn't be fully happy with just the growth, that the other things factor into it. Uh, again, going back to sort of uh, describing events business as services, when we look at marketing services companies, or even media, we t- you know, people kind of tend to say an operating margin that those companies can run at can be 15 to 20%. Is that the same in the events business, give or take? So it varies a lot. So right now, how we operate mostly is that we cost the actual third party expenses to our clients, Mm. and then we charge project management fees. Mm. So depending on the size of the project, the project management fee um, varies, but usually, uh, and then we have an agency fee, which mm. is on top of those, which is usually around 15%. But our project management fee is really to ensure that we manage, you know, we have the right resources and that's usually around 10%. But I mean, but like the product, product, uh, sorry, profit margin at the end of the year, you know, can, what's the profitability of an events business generally? If you don't want to reveal yours, but like industry-wide, what's the kind of standard? I think, I mean, it's it's really varies. And let yeah. me tell you why, because it's very different when you say events and you do a wedding or you yeah. say events and you do a corporate or you do an activation or you do a festival that is 50 million dirhams. How is it different? It's very different. <laughs> okay, you, but could th- have a, you could have a 40% GP on a corporate event or an activation, but you can't have a 40% GP when you do a huge festival, but you have a huge pie. So maybe you're, you know, even if it's 10%, your 10% covers, you know, the whole year expenses. Okay, so it's, it's really see. the question is what game are you playing? And, yeah. and that's what I asked. So that's why as a business, we started doing our own events but we but we realized that doing corporate events was more profitable and then we realized government events was more profitable and 
That's why I say we are an ever-evolving agency. Mm. We're constantly evolving to what the client wants, what the market wants, and where is the profitability. Yeah, interesting. That's a good way of looking at it. So the the big sort of one-off annual events, the big concerts or festivals, uh, the margin is lower, but the size, the size is bigger. But, but does it not uh, equal out? Like if you do one of them, the ticket fee and the sponsorship that you bring in could not not be equal to 50 weddings or 20. I mean, we don't do weddings or those events, but for corporate events or activations, yes, it absolutely does. Mm. And that goes back to the strategy. I mean, I've seen a lot of companies that do the corporate, let's say, events, and then they suddenly win a big one-off event. Mm. And they bring that one-off event into their uh, statements of account, and then they start considering that as their revenue Stand, yeah. and they start spending their OPEX, increasing their OPEX because they have now got that project. We don't do that. Till date, we have a separate statement of account for all our larger scale projects mm. because what happens if you don't get them next year? I can't have the business suffer because I've been hopeful and increased my OPEX thinking that every year I'm getting this project. So you have to build the business based on your regular clientele and projects, which, you know, are ongoing, um, and then you scale up and down on these ones, and they become the cherry on the top. Interesting. So uh, do you ever look at other events around Dubai and around the region and, uh, you know, get FOMO or <laughs> not FOMO, but get jealous in a way of like them happening and wish that you guys did it? Or how do you kind of manage that? And uh, same way of putting it is, do you see a new pop-up event or a new type of company doing something in the event space whether it's digital or new innovation and think oh we what if we did that hmm. i always get inspired i don't think it's fomo or jealous i always get inspired because i that drives me to do better and to hmm. do more um but um i think i'm really proud i have to say of the kind of projects that we do hmm. and to the quality that we do um, but I'm also aware that where the industry is heading, um, you know, there is trends, right, 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 right now there is a trend with all the immersive, the tech and all of those. So we're actually partnered with an Italian company and we're bringing an immersive, um, roaming exhibition to the region. And we have just, uh, started our offices in Saudi. So we're looking at expanding there. And our strategy to expand there is by taking these IPs and these products. What's a roaming exhibition? So um, there are events that are, you know, you sell tickets and mm. people come in and oh, watch an immersive show. Yeah. Um, but they're only there for, let's say, a month or 10 days. And then it goes from country to country. Like in recently in Saudi, they had Neom the line where it was mm -hmm. in Jeddah and then in Eastern province. They moved it around. So that's roaming. You could move it. Yeah, if it's roaming. And there are a lot of, you know, the Van Gogh exhibits. I mean, in the okay. arts field, you see a lot of these. Um, but we have just partnered uh, with Pepper Ghost in Italy. And mm. what we will be offering um, very soon is immersive um, exhibitions and experiences where basically you have art and you will have AI and every consumer that walks into this show, uh, which is a black box, is you will experience a new show. And once you have more people, it's different content being projected. Mm. And it's all done by satellite and AI. And it's really, really cool. So... The trends are moving that direction constantly. They're looking for new, never seen before. And, you know, like I said, ever evolving. We've got to also be looking at what's new elsewhere that we can bring here or what can we create 
um, that can be a new product that is trending now or mm-hmm. there is a requirement for now. Were you tempted during the pandemic to do webinars and virtual events and things like that? And did you do some? We did a very few, I have to say. I always believed that you cannot take away the human interaction from a live event. Mm. You know, I mean, the industry has evolved tremendously by doing a lot of the conferences and a lot of the events on Zooms and, the you know, virtual. Um, but I think, I don't think ever you can take away that human interaction and that experience. We're in the business of delivering experiences. Mm. Um, and that's our forte. So I, you know, we didn't go, we didn't divert a lot. We did it for a few of our clients that demanded it. Mm. But it was, you know, ever evolving. What do you need? We will do it for you. But mm. did we believe to set up a new division, a new port? You know, no, we did not do okay. that. Okay, interesting. And you mentioned Saudi. Uh, what's your view? We often ask, you know, the the Arab world and the Middle East is known as an emerging market. Do you believe that it's a market that will emerge? And would you be optimistic about the kind of economic prosperity of the region? Absolutely. You know, I say if your neighbor, neighbors are beautifying their home, it serves you. <laughs> it's always win-win. And I think the attention, you know, it's always been about Dubai. It's always been about Abu Dhabi. And now it's also about, you know, Saudi and other markets, Qatar and so on. And I think the more that the region blooms, the better it is for everybody. Hmm. And it's a great relationship and support that is currently in place. And it helps everybody um, grow and it's benefiting everyone. It will take time. Uh, but it's in the right direction to me. And that's that would be a direction that Linkviva would follow as well? You'd see the opportunity in, in say, the Gulf for more events? Definitely, yes, for okay. sure. Brilliant. Yeah, and you know, going back to how you, how you sort of run your company and how you uh, look after your employees and career development and things like that, and what we touched on at the start, the, the CEO part, the chief energy officer. Um, so can you talk a little bit about that and how that came about? Sure. Yeah. I always give my business card and people say chief <laughs> energy officer. What does that mean? <laughs> I think it's simple. Again, for me, everything is energy. And as a leader, I have two direction. Either when I meet with my employees, I can add to their energy or I can deplete their energy. Okay. And fundamentally, if you want a car to move, the car needs fuel. Yeah. If you want the organization to grow, it needs energy. Mm. So it is extremely important, and I think it, it does not get enough attention, um, that the culture you create and how you treat your people is really in the root cause of how much the organization can grow. So for me, I'm very aware of the energy and it's, 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 it's been there not recently. It's been there from my childhood. Um, my father is an energy healer. I grew up in that space and that environment. I've seen things that, you know, I believe in so many things, mm. um, in higher powers and universe and all of those. But for me is when I meet a person also, like, you know, I have interviews. The first thing is a scan of energy mm. because if we are not in the right state, and I think it's so important to mention this because we are all responsible individually as well and as a team to kind of assess how am I really feeling? Am I in the right space? Because if I'm not mentally and emotionally in the right space, if I'm not in a state of flow, something is wrong. And you can only deliver magic if you're in the state of flow mm. and you can be in the state of flow when you do what you like and you do it well 
and you feel good about it. So I always say, please, to my team, do not pretend you know it all because I don't. And do not pretend that you have all the strength and no weaknesses. In fact, forget your strength. Let's sit down and talk about your weaknesses. If you're a department head and you have weaknesses, I want to know what's your weakness. You know why? Because I want you, I want to find someone who can help you so you can delegate that because I want your strength. Mm. I want the focus to be on your strength because if I do what I love and I'm good at it, I'm going to do more of that. I'm going to be much more productive than if you ask me to do something that I'm not good at and I'm hiding, trying to do it and wasting time over it. So I think that's extremely, it's for me, that's all is energy. You know, I can come into the office and I can see what's the space like, yeah. you know. And that kind of takes the burden off some people as well. If they don't have the skill set for one thing that you've recognized that, but they're enthusiastic about other things as well. You know, if you have people who don't have the right energy, how do you deal with that? And is that a sort of, um, is that a, a red line? You know, do you, do you remove toxic people uh, in your company? So we wouldn't hire them, to be honest. How would you at the know? Beginning. I, I know, I just know. <laughs> and I'll tell you an example, and this is a really good advice for, you know, people who maybe are, 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 are watching or listening to this. But if you go to an interview, and you start by saying how every company you've worked with is bad. And I just had this actually today. Um, sorry, yesterday. I had two interviews. The first person comes and talks about how everything in the previous companies went wrong. And I have the second person who comes and talks about everything that in the companies that went right. And for me, it's an immediate, this person has a pattern. The pattern is seeing negativity. This person has a pattern, always seeing positivity. And who do you want to attract in your team? Because let's be realistic. We also have a lot of challenges. It's not that Link Viva has no challenges and everything is always good. No, it's not about the situation and the problem. It's about how we perceive it and how we react to it. Mm. So for me, it's ensuring that we have the right people in a approach-wise of how do they approach a problem or an issue. So at the beginning, we wouldn't hire them. If they are in the business, I think it's a very important thing that I want to talk about because I had an article also in Khalid Times, which I keep getting calls saying it was interesting. We have to understand we're human and humans go through seasons. Mm. We've all had our time and a few years that we had our good years and our bad years. Now tell me, I'm dealing with someone who's been in the business for 12 years. He's not always or she's not always been good. Mm. I haven't always been good. I went through maternity and I had a disastrous emotional roller coaster. Mm. But I think the question is the understanding that this is a human you're talking to. I understand that this person is going through something, go and have a chat with them. So the other day I was having an issue, uh, we were having an issue and the department heads were talking and I realized they were, you know, talking about uh, what had gone wrong and with one of the team members. And I just said, guys, stop. Where is your empathy gone? Our value is respect. Yes, maybe someone didn't speak to you in a respectful way, but where is your value of empathy? Mm. Did you, when somebody clashes with you or says something to you, do you take it personal or do you say, wait a minute, is everything okay? Mm. Why did you actually, are, you're not in a good space. Mm. So I think creating the culture and we have this culture, you know, we walk in the office and I'm like, I'm really low and everybody just gives free hugs, free hugs. <laughs> nice. It's not, you know, it's not something I made up hormonally. It makes you feel good. It's, yeah. it's, you know, releasing hormones and stuff that makes you feel better, but having that environment to feel at home, to know, you know what, I'm really in a bad mood. I'm going through a phase in my life, but I need support. Mm. And I've had this situation to go and say, take time off. I know it's a very important project. 
Give yourself at least a day. Go have a spa day. Go have a walk in the, you know, whatever you need to do, mm. but find yourself. Amazing. That's really important. It's really strong. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. And, you know, it sounds like you have the right attitude for a busy event season coming up. <laughs> do you look at sort of, uh, and, and we'll finish up running out of time, but do you look at, so we're in September now, and it does feel like Dubai changes, especially weather, but also in events. Do you kind of, uh, embrace the next few months uh, with enthusiasm or is there a little bit of dread and <laughs> how busy you're going to be? No, I think we, we, we enjoy the summer, let's say, <laughs> to make ourselves ready for the season because it's just been so hectic since I think first September, it was like a switch and everything changed. Yeah, <laughs> It's been very hectic. We have some amazing project lines up and uh, no, we're ready. We're ready Good. to take on the challenge. <laughs> Brilliant. Nushit, it's been a pleasure talking to you this morning. I'm glad we've been able to sit down as neighbors, but it's also inspiring story and for and I'm sure everyone listening will agree. Thanks Thank for your you. time. Thank you so much for having me. It's a Thank pleasure. You. Thank you. Mm -hmm. I really enjoyed that conversation. Uh, always impressed with people when they put running the business uh, principles and the foundation into profitability and having the grasp of numbers and making the right decisions first. Uh, because often, uh, you know, there's so many temptations in business to hire that person or to uh, do the new tech trend or invest in this or to pivot to a new idea. But if you don't uh, if you make those wrong decisions and if you don't have a firm grasp of numbers, you can end up putting the whole thing in jeopardy and, uh, you know, the business might fail or people might lose jobs or you might be forced into a situation where mistakes happen. So what Nisha is doing at LinkViva seems uh, really impressive from the outside and also, uh, you know, being at some of their events in the past, they obviously uh, provide a really quality product and service as well. Uh, so yeah, I want to uh, thank our sponsors of the show, Evest, who bring this episode to you on podcast for free. Uh, and then I want to thank our producer, Ali, and uh, producer Shahir, who helped put the show together. Uh, if you are listening on an audio channel, please do like, subscribe, comment, and share. If you're listening or, uh, on smashy.tv, thank you. It's the full video shows available behind the paywall on our apps and smart TV devices. Uh, and yeah, back next week, 11 a.m. Friday mornings, uh, same time, same place. Speak to you then.